Mark Epton shared this story with me, and I thought I'd share it with you because it made me amazed at the Lord. He says this, we, we had our morning meeting before Open Door, and whilst we were praying there, there was a sense that God wanted us to go out and do a little bit of street ministry on City Road, uh, just on the corner where Open Door is. So just behind me, City Road's just there. Now, the idea, Mark just really felt that there was potentially somebody that the Lord had ordained for him to meet that day. And when he arrived at Open Door, it was cold and raining. Isn't that always the way? It was cold and raining. So he, just, he reluctantly decided to ask Bill and Stuart to join him and to offer to pray for people. And so they, they stood there for about half an hour because it was raining. It was pretty damp. It's quite hard to have a conversation with people. So they had a couple of conversations. And then Mark reached the point where he was like, do you know what? I'm a bit cold. I'm a bit wet. Lord, I'm going to stay here. One more person. I feel like there's one more person that you're asking me to meet. At that exact moment, a guy came walking towards me. And I sensed that I should stop and start a conversation with him. His name was Barry. I've changed his name. And, and he was an engineer. And he had a look of astonishment upon his face when, when he met me. Now, that's not unusual with Mark. Um, to my surprise, he began to explain to me that he'd woken up that very morning and for some reason had a strange feeling that he was going to be stopped and have a conversation with a man on a street corner today. Okay. I now also had a look of astonishment on my face, he said. Looking puzzled, he then told me that he normally gets the bus down City Road but felt today that he should drive and he just parked close by, which would have meant... That uh, walking past us, which he wouldn't normally have done. I explained that we were Christians and believe that God intended us to be there and potentially meet someone which must be him. I invited him to come with me around the corner to open door and over coffee. We chatted. Uh, he explained to me that he used to go to church when he was younger with his parents but hadn't been for years. Bizarrely, he explained that just last week a good friend had mentioned to him that he should think about going back to church again. I talked to him about Jesus and a bit about Alpha, and he again looked surprised. And he said that another good friend of his had just finished doing an Alpha course and that this week had suggested that he should try Alpha too. Do you ever get the feeling like sometimes the Lord's on your case? <laughs> I offered to pray with this guy, and as we prayed, he encountered the Holy Spirit. Afterwards, he, felt, he said that he felt such a joy and a real sense of peace, and he believed that God was calling him to come home and follow him. I asked him, if he'd like to come and join us at church and whether I could keep in touch with them. He had unfortunately forgotten his phone and didn't know his new number. I said that if he wanted, he could write down my number and keep in touch. He then looked surprised again as he opened his bag to take out the only two things that he'd packed into the, it that day, a pen and a post-stick. Cue another look of astonishment on his face, followed by a grin. He explained to me that he'd packed them as he sensed he might need them both today for some reason. It goes on. God is moving all around our city. And sometimes we just have to be open enough to see what the Lord's doing, to hear what he's doing, to stand. You know, Mark, my, in the middle of the rain, was probably like, God, what are you doing? But actually, we get to bring the kingdom. We get to see the power of God come in those moments. The truth breaking in. I'm continuing our series today, The Truth, Jesus in a Post-Truth Culture. And I started two weeks ago by painting the culture that we are living in. And I said that it was tolerantly intolerant. Culture has changed massively over the last 10 years. And um, 
really monumentally, a lot down to the internet and how that's changed our relationships and the way that we do life. And we're all feeling it. And as Christians, we're, we're feeling it a lot. But often it's quite difficult to pinpoint what it is that's actually changed. Something's changed, but we don't know what it is. And I use seven values to talk about this, seven values that culture have kind of imbibed and taken in and that they would use as their truth manual. Um, and a lot of it is around the self and self-identification. I am what I say I am. And how as a church we need to become more than, more than just relevant. The, the idea is that we don't just keep pushing into being more and more relevant. But actually that Jesus has got something to say into our culture. And that we have to stand apart rather than just... Uh, if we push too far into becoming relevant, we will in and itself become irrelevant by doing that. And so I talked about gospel resilience... Paul picked up the theme last week on his deathbed, and there have been reports that he was only semi-conscious when he preached. I'm not saying it was bad, I'm just saying there have been reports, but I think it was pretty poorly. He looked at gospel identity, and he talked about how we're not supposed to find our identity within ourselves or within the world. Instead, our gospel identity is found in the truth of who Jesus says that we are. He says who we are. He referred to John 1.12, the right to become children of God. And he used the analogy of being adopted, how when a child's adopted, they immediately become part of their new identity. That is their new identity. By name and status, they will never be more a part of that family. They become a part of that family. Their identity is secure. However, it might well take some time to learn to, learn to be in that family, to learn to change within the, the strength of that family to think as the family does. Romans 12, 2, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. So the truth found in Jesus reveals and confirms our identity. So gospel resilience, gospel identity. Today I want to look at gospel reality. What does this look like? How does the truth change us? Why is it so important? And I think my talk can be summarized by the phrase, transformed by the truth. I don't know about you, but when we use the word truth, it can sound quite harsh. It can sound quite authoritarian, quite distant, quite cerebral, quite heady. It's like truth, truth, truth is up here. I've got the truth and you don't. When we're talking about the truth, what are we talking about in reality? Let's bring it out of the conceptual because this word truth kind of hovers up here somewhere. And I'm saying, how do we ground this word, this word truth? And I found this really helpful. When you think about truth, think about the person of Jesus. He is not harsh. He is beautiful. He is perfect. Sorry, he is personal. He is loving. He is perfect. Truth is found in a person. The truth makes sense in Jesus. The truth is shown manifest in a person. That's what truth looks like. And suddenly it takes it out of this harshness into this reality of it's a person. That's what truth looks like. I want to delve into a passage into John 17 this morning. So if you've got a Bible and just want to grab it out, I'm going to be looking at John 17 verses 13 through to 23. And this is a really rich piece of scripture. It's beautiful, it's intimate, and it's a prayer of Jesus to his father just before he's betrayed. So this is just before he goes to the cross. So picking it up in verse 13, it says this, I am coming to you now. 
But I say these things while I'm still in the world. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He was aware. It's like, I'm going to go and be with my father. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the disciples. They're surrounded they're around him, that they might have the full measure of my joy. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. This is all about gospel resilience. We are not the same as the world. The word of God guides us. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. So he's not just talking about the disciples here. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. For those yet to come, for those that are going to one day meet me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. It's a beautiful passage. It's not the easiest passage. There's some tough language in here. This word sanctify, what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be made pure. In verse 17, uh, it says, for them I sanctify myself. You might be sitting there thinking, well, why does Jesus need to be sanctified? He's already perfect. And I think in this instance, he's talking about, I set myself apart for them in order that they may also be set apart. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be filled with power, with his nature, with his presence. And you might say, well, do you know what? I want to be like that. And Jesus says, great, I'm doing it now and I'll give it to you. Verse 22 says, I'm giving them my glory. And then it goes on in verse 24 says, I want them to receive my glory. So it's almost something that they have, but something that they're to receive as well. What does that mean? It means that there's a process going on. There's a method here. How does this get into you? Is it an thing? Does God just kind of zap you with his glory and then you're filled with the glory of the Lord and you're completely sanctified? I, I want to suggest that there are two main ways that we're changed by the truth. The first is through the word, and the second is through the spirit. Through the word and through the spirit. We have a phrase in the vineyard, word and spirit, to describe who we are. That would sum us up. And the power is found in the tension of these two things. If you go to either extreme, if you imagine kind of a continuum, on one end you've got the word, the scriptures, on the other end you've got the spirit of God. If you go to either one of those ends, generally you're in trouble. R.T. Kendall says this, if we have the word without the spirit, we tend to dry up. Because what happens is we lose the life of God. If we have the spirit with the word, we tend to blow up. So that effectively means if you imagine the spirit, the whole, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit here. If you have the spirit without the word, so it's almost like you stop using the scriptures. And you're like, it's all about experience. It's all about experiencing the Lord. What happens is you don't have the guidance. And so you end up blowing up. You end up going into stuff that's peripheral over, over here on the edge. If we have both word and spirit, we tend to grow up and fire up. 
But when each is properly joined in common union, there is explosive power to be had. The power is in the tension of these two things to stand right in the middle between the word and the spirit. That's a picture of what we're trying to be as a people, word and spirit. And we're told all the way through this passage that the way God's glory comes is through the truth. It's the word of God down in verse 17, which really is, in a sense, the key verse. Jesus says to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It's an amazing statement. How do you get that holiness? How do you get that new nature? Through the truth. The truth renews our minds, our wrong thinking. Paul said it last week. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the transformation of your mind. It's an ongoing process. I love that it's not renewing. It's ongoing. When we, when we become a Christian, we, we come into the family of God, and Nicky Gumbel uses this ama- amazing analogy that's like a boiler that gets its boiler light, and it's, and it's on. But that doesn't mean that we are completely sanctified. Sanctification is a process. We grow to become more like Jesus. We're not the finished product. We all know that. We grow into the likeness of Jesus. Down in verse 20, Jesus makes it very clear that he's not just praying for the 12 disciples who are around him. He's praying for all of those who believe in me through their message. He says, I've received a set of words. He doesn't even say the word. Many places he uses the plural, the words, a doctrine, a body of truth, a body of information. I have received a group of these things. A body of truth is what he's talking about. He says in verses 7 and 8, I know their mind because I've given it to them and they've received it. Verse 20, they're passing it along to other people. The ones who receive that believe in me and then they know who I am as well. So the scripture teaches throughout that there's a body of truth which leads us to looking more like Jesus. The outworking is freedom. In other words, the truth transforms us. Truth is the way that God perfects you and recreates you and makes you holy. Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. Now, on the one hand, many people, when they say, I'm a Christian and I want to grow and become like Jesus, they are completely passive about it. So they say, I want to grow. I want to look like him. I'm just going to sit back and wait. In other words, I'm not going to do anything. They believe they know what they should be doing and they know how they should live, but they don't have the power to do it. So they just sit back and say, come on, God, change me. You're just going to have to change me. I've just got to pray that God, through his power, will come and change my insides. Now, the trouble with that is that Jesus says this process of becoming holy, this process of sanctification, does not come by just being zapped from heaven. Isn't that annoying? Don't you ever think that? It's like, Jesus, just make me more like you. Oh, it's done. Finished. I'm the finished article. Um, It comes through the truth. Some of you are students. You You know that you're not allowed to be passive when the way in which you're going to graduate is through truth. So what's going to make you into a graduate? You must graduate by the truth. So you have to take the truth and you have to work it in order to pass the test that you have. You can't be passive. You can't stick a medical medical textbook under your pillow at night and say, Lord, I know I'm supposed to learn all of this. But it's really hard work. You're just going to have to put it. And then you lie down for the night. And during the night, there's this transference that occurs. Because Because of your proximity to that textbook, you're like... Lord, just put it in my head. You wake up in the morning, you're like, I've got it. 
I know I haven't studied. I know I've done nothing, in fact. But Lord, you're just going to have to put it in, in me. You have to reflect on it. You have to discuss it. You have to grapple with it. You have to learn it. If you're going to be a doctor and you study this book on skin disorders, when you see the blotch, you, know, you need to know that you've mastered the truth so that you know what it is. You become a graduate to the truth. You become a doctor through the truth. In order to get the truth into you, you cannot just be passive. You can't back, just sit back and say, Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, but it's just not happening to me. I guess I just have to wait on you. This is where we need both word and spirit. My understanding of what this text is saying is when God deals with the will, he never forces the will, but he engages the will with the truth. He gives us the truth that changes us. So let me show what the Bible really means when it says, sanctify them through the tr truth, your word is truth. Let me give you an example of what it would look like. Because again, it can become quite heady over here. Let's bring this down into reality. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. It's talking about sexual self-control here. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Look at what he does here. On the one hand, he's not passive, is he? He doesn't say, well, do you know what? These sexual desires are very strong. You better just ask God to take them away. He doesn't just appeal to the emotions. On the other hand, he doesn't appeal directly to the will. He doesn't say, stop being sexually immoral, period, or you're going to get it. Instead, what does he say? He says, flee from it. He's, it's like, put it behind you. Run away from it. Get away from it. So that's the first part. And then he goes on to say, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? This is where the truth comes in. So it's not just run away from it. Why are we doing that? Because of the truth who's in you, whom you receive from God, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. What does that mean? What Paul is saying is if you can't flee sexual immorality, if you don't have sexual self-control, you aren't thinking. You don't know who's living inside of you. You don't know the power of God who's within you. You've forgotten. What do you need? You need the truth. What Paul is saying, do you want power? The power comes as you see the truth. It's the truth that changes us. This is the principle. God gets his glory into you by taking the truth and putting it in front of you. And by his Holy Spirit helping to you to grasp it, helping you to understand it, and making it real to you, word and spirit. Whenever a Christian actually experiences power, do you know what they say? They say, I never saw that before. I never saw it that way before. It's almost like a revelation moment of my thinking has been changed. It's not just my emotions. It's not just stopping doing something. It's the Lord has changed my mind. He's renewed my thinking. That's why I can change. This is why the truth is so important. There is power in the truth. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. When Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray every day for you that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened that you may grasp the hope of your calling and the riches of your inheritance and the great power in you who believe. What is Paul saying? He doesn't pray for power. He says, if you would only see the truth and realize the truth, you'd have the power. As your thinking changes, 
That's when the power comes. If I'm worried, if I'm lacking sexual self-control, I have to get busy. I have to go to the Word of God. I have to go to the truth. I have to meditate on it. I have to study it. I have to understand it. I have to grasp it. I have to ask the Spirit as well. It's not just that. It's both of these things. I've got to understand the truth of why. God, what are you saying? And then I ask for the empowering of the Spirit. Spirit, I know you do not sanctify me apart from the word. Spirit, I know you don't work apart from the word. Sanctify them through the truth. Give them the power to grasp the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of our Lord. This is the way in which you're going to change me. And so I put it on myself. I give it to myself. I bring everything that I have to bear on the truth. I love this verse in John 16, which talks about the spirit The spirit is not this woolly thing going on. We are talking about a holy spirit. It's a holy spirit. He says this in verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's what the spirit does. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. It's the word and the spirit working together, both of these. That's how the truth comes into our lives. But what is the outworking of the truth in our lives? Truth brings freedom, is something that I said earlier. You'll never see God reveal truth just to make us cleverer. Wow, James, you're so clever. He doesn't do that. Bill Johnson says this, Truth by nature is the transforming power of God to instill freedom in the life of those who embrace it. In other words, what he's saying is, Truth brings freedom. When we begin to understand the nature of God and the presence of God and the power of God, it brings revelation which changes us. It could be said that freedom exists in a person's life to the degree to which they embrace the truth from the heart. It's not just this concept. As, this, as the truth sinks into our heart and we begin to get revelation, then we begin to change. It's more than a mental agreement to a concept called truth. It's the heartfelt yes of a way of life. Yes, God, this is what you've got for me. Yes, I know that your word is truth. Yes, I know that I can stand on that. I know some people who talk about the truth a lot, but their actions and their behavior are not loving. You have to hold truth and grace together. Those two things go together. You can't divorce them. Jesus put it this way in um, John 8, 32. He says, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The opposite of truth and freedom are lies and imprisonment. That's what it feels, the other side. Truth and freedom, lies and imprisonment. Lies are costly because they steal life from all who embrace them. If I believe a lie, I empower that lie, I give it prominence and I give it power. Entertaining a lie can have a massive effect on us, spirit, soul, and body. It's a poison that works into our being to destroy our identity and our purpose. The devil lies about who God is and in turn who we are, and it's all about identity. Bill Johnson again says this, I can't afford to have a thought in my head about me that he doesn't have in his head about me. Thinking independently of God is not freedom. In fact, it's the worst possible bondage imaginable to think outside of the purpose and design set in place by the greatest creative genius ever to exist. 
We are all in the process of renewing our minds. Each one of us will have lies that need breaking. We need the truth to come in and bring us freedom. I, I just wanted to give you an insight into my life because I think it's, you might be sitting there going, oh, this is all very well, but what does that actually look like in, in your life, James? And I, f- I feel like recently I've had some revelation into my soul that happens through, again, the word and the spirit. It's these two things. I've always struggled to be alone with the Lord by myself. That is something that I've always found really difficult. So the idea of going and having a retreat day, for me, you'd sit there and be like, you're a church leader, surely this should be easy for you. It's not. It's really difficult. I'm very, very happy to go on a retreat day as long as there's lots of other people there. It's like, yes, we can retreat with the Lord together. That sounds fun. I can do that, the raving extrovert in me. So underlyingly, I impact, do you know what? I'm a little bit scared of silence and solitude. (laughs) That scares me. As I began to unpack this in my heart, I'm like, Lord, this isn't all right. I feel that there are times when you're just asking me to be alone with you. I don't want to, for the rest of my life, not step into those opportunities. So what does that look like? Well, I have to unpack, well, what is the lie that I'm believing that's stopping me from doing that? There's a couple of lies that I unearthed as I was going on this process. I was like, what is it? There's a lie in here. I like spending time with God. I enjoy the Lord's presence. So that's not something that I'm scared of. And I come back refreshed in, you know, if it's half an hour, whatever it is, that's fine. There's two things, lies going on. One, my need to be needed is that it means that I don't feel productive. So it's like going away means that I can't be around people. And then that means that I'm not being productive. That doesn't feel productive. Well, that's a lie. I'm, I, I'm building on a lie. There's something in there that I need to break. My productivity around people. So it's like, wow, that's wrong. I need to unpack that before the Lord and go, Lord, what is that? Two, I don't really like being my, by myself because I fear loneliness. Well, the irony is I'm not alone. If I'm going to go and be with the Lord, I'm not lonely, but it makes me feel like I will be lonely. Okay, so as you can see, that the, these two lies, although they're not massive, they're enough to stop me going and being with the Lord in that, in that so that I can have that intimacy with the Lord. Now, now, what's happened is I've unearthed the lies. That's stage one. I can see there's some wrongly held beliefs. What do I need to do? I need to reform them with what the Lord would say. What would the Lord have to say into those situations? The Lord would say, do you know what, James? You're never alone. That's ridiculous. The other thing that the Lord would say to me is, your life is not about just being productive. That's not what productivity looks like. If you think that, then you will probably burn out in life because you think that you're more important than you actually are. It's sobering. Now, am I at the point where I've solved all of this situation? No, I'm bang in the middle of this process. (laughs) My mind is being renewed by the truth. So I'm, I'm not there where I'm like, yes, I feel completely free in this environment. I've unearthed the light. I'm working on it. I'm in this middle place of transformation. What will change? Truth. Truth coming in and, and coming against the lies. Because what the lies do is they put us in bondage and they put us in imprisonment 
and then we can't escape, and therefore I'm not free. I'm not free because I think that I'll feel lonely. That's not freedom. One day I'm going to go and be with Jesus. That's freedom. So I just wanted to give you a little insight of, because again, we can talk about the truth out here. What does it actually look like? This is the process of transformation that the Lord might well be unearthing in you. What is it? What are the lies that you've built your life on? Some of them can be your whole life, that there's a lie in there. And the Lord would say, how does that change? Because the truth comes in and it whacks it and it takes you out. If you read the scriptures, it will confront your life. It is dangerous stuff. I'm warning you. If you really begin to delve into it, you're like, wow, that is going to change the way that I have to think. And then what happens is this Holy Spirit comes in and he's like, yes, that's true. Like, oh, kapow. I'm just going to shove it down there and run away. That's the danger, that the Lord reveals this stuff. And we just push it away and like, Do you know what? It's too difficult. I can't be bothered. I don't want to be. Looking more like Jesus means unearthing these things, bringing them to the surface and saying, I need the power of the truth to come in and transform my life. So why don't we stand?